0: Greetings, urban farmers, gardeners, and healthy food visionaries. Farmer Greg here, and welcome to the 493rd episode of the Urban Farm Podcast, where every day we educate and inspire you to become part of your food revolution. Today on our podcast, we have someone who is researching how urban farmers and gardeners can increase the performance of their landscapes. We're talking with returning guest Scott Murray about active carbon sequestration. Scott has 46 years of organic agriculture production experience in the United States and Mexico. He has a multitude of experience with conservation, food production, and environmental leadership, including serving as an elected California conservation official for the last 27 years. Scott also specializes in farmland preservation projects, utilizing smart growth principles. These days, he does farm creation and consulting as his primary work, including work on a farm growing coffee in Southern California, which had its first harvest and sold out in one day for $796 a pound. Wow. So we got to meet Scott back in 2015 for podcast number 11 and back again in 2018 for podcast episode 352. Welcome back to the show today, Scott. Are you ready to rock?
1: Yes, I am.
0: Excellent. So you called me the other day and said you wanted to do something about carbon sequestration and planting trees. So let's start with the term active carbon sequestration. What are you talking about?
1: Well, it's what a tree does every day. It breathes in oxygen. It draws water up through its roots and and respires that through its body. And as it's breathing in that oxygen, it's making carbon to build the, the, the strength of the tree. And so when it breathes in oxygen, it can actually breathe in carbon dioxide as well. And it releases oxygen in excess. And what we get is we get more carbon in the soil and more carbon in the plant material. And why is this important? That's well, what
0: I was going to ask you, actually. It's like, so we're, t- we're hearing from an environmental perspective in the news that we have a carbon problem in the, in- in the atmosphere. This is what this is addressing, right?
1: Yeah. How? Well, we have a series of farming strategies. They're called practices that the USDA and the National Resource Conservation Service has identified and helps farmers with and does research on. 17 of those practices are specialized in improving soil carbon and improving plant growth, which improves plant carbon. So right now we have, as a world community, We've been doing practices like burning coal and wood and oil, and those things release excess carbon dioxide into the atmosphere. And right now, today, we have about 205 gigatons of excess carbon dioxide in the atmosphere, and now it's causing us serious problems. It's raising the average temperature. It's starting to increase the melting of our glaciers and sea ice and the whole series of problems that we're, we're starting to see from this are interlocked and cascading, which means they get worse and worse as we go.
0: Interesting. So there's, there's a domino effect that's happening here, right?
1: Yes. And so what we're concerned about is how do we reduce the carbon well, there's two parts of what are called carbon action plans. And these days, the federal government, state governments, city governments, county governments, and business organizations are developing carbon action plans because we all contribute on a daily basis. We have a carbon budget for our own lives. If we have to drive our car to work, for example, we can calculate how much carbon on average that that commute releases into the atmosphere. And we use electrical lights, for example, that are not from renewable sources, but from burning of oil or coal or natural gas, that releases carbon. So we, every day, every American has their own carbon budget. Every city and every community, every state, and every nation in the world has a carbon budget. But our carbon action plans are primarily focused on reducing our contributions of carbon to the atmosphere. Now, this is very, very important. We have to figure out how we can progress as humanity on, on this little planet that's ours by changing our ways and reducing our use of burning, especially burning of fossil fuels. And the problem is, that all of our modern society is based on those methods right now. Right. So it's difficult to even slow that. Just in the last 20 years where we've been focusing on slowing it, we're still creeping ahead. So the balance to this is something that is usually mentioned in carbon action plans, but it's sort of just a sub-chapter. Oh, plant trees. Well, we're planting trees literally save us from overheating the planet and causing massive climactic shifts that that we really don't know how much that will affect us. One of the things that, that I'm focused on is the melting of ice. If we melt all the ice around the world, the sea level could go up by 240 to 280 feet. Wow! And just for the United States, that will have a significant impact because about 55% of our population lives in what are called the tidelands right you know close to the coasts and yeah. in other low-lying areas about 50% of our agriculture is in those areas and about 50% of our industry think of an oil terminal for example on the edge of you know a port that would be over 100 feet underwater if they don't raise it or actually move it inland to a location that's maybe 300 feet above the sea level that we have now. So this is a challenge for, for our whole world, and it is partly a technological solution where we've done things like invent solar electric cells that now are almost in most areas, more cost-effective than burning fossil fuels. And that's a really good sign. And we have now electric cars. And if electric cars are recharged by you know non-fossil fuel electricity, there's a very low impact of driving those kind of vehicles. So our future might have a lot of electric cars. But what do we do right now? Because they say when the carbon is released in the atmosphere... In natural processes, it takes up to 300 years to break down and no longer be a greenhouse gas. And what we mean by a greenhouse gas is that that carbon, those particles in the atmosphere, reflect heat that normally would radiate back from Earth out into space. But these particles in the atmosphere keep that heat in like an insulating blanket. Right. So... I've been an organic farmer 47 years now, and I have a solution right under my feet because as an organic farmer, we literally build soil carbon as our practices.
0: Well, that's what makes healthy soil, right?
1: Yes, yes. And, and it increases the water holding capacity of the soil, and it helps the, the soil biology to thrive. So here in California, we have a project called the Carbon Farming Initiative, and it has gotten started by working with enhancing the carbon performance of pasture land for grass-fed cattle and other grass-fed animals by taking one acre of pasture and putting 20 tons of nutritive compost on it. So that's made with an animal manure, for example, not just green waste. Right. We, we spread that evenly out a half inch thick, and we have noticed in scientific studies here in California that that will quadruple the carbon performance of the soil. It will quadruple the carbon in the soil. It will quadruple the water holding capacity of the soil, and then what the farmer gets is much more healthier grass to feed his animals. Now, How do we expand that? Does that work with other kinds of vegetation? And the fact is, yes. All the different vegetation that we grow, from vegetables in our garden, to fruit trees on our property, to the the pretty ornamental trees that might line our street, to the forests on our planet, and including other things like ponds that grow algae and, and, and swamps and prairie, Every one of these ecosystems sequesters carbon dioxide into the soil.
0: There's a link here between compost and sequestering carbon. How does that happen? So I'm going to put a half inch of really good compost on my garden. What is the process by which that carbon gets sequestered?
1: Well, in this particular case, the the compost acts almost as a homeopathic medication for the soil. It it contains various soil microorganisms that that help the compost break down. It contains stabilized nutrients, which are the food for those soil microorganisms. So when we spread it on the ground, it literally feeds the soil and it feeds the soil life. And some of the, the, the soil life actually sequester carbon themselves, and others do things that support plants which also sequester carbon.
0: Now, trees actually are a better sequesterer of carbon, are they not?
1: Well, only because they're bigger. Ah, okay. Right? So what we mean by this is I have planted cover crops, for example, on some garden beds that I used this year to grow crops. And then at the end of the season, I pulled out the crop and I immediately planted seeds for a cover crop that was oats and field peas. And the peas have nitrogen fixing bacteria in them, in the nodules in the soil, but they need a healthy soil, which I've been building for years. Then these peas can do their job of growing and supporting these nodules on their roots with the bacteria that fix carbon out of the atmosphere, and provided as feed to food for the plant to grow on, literally feeding the plants. Mm-hmm. So what happens between a pea plant and a tree is the pea plant is pretty short-lived, maybe six months. Right. It actually can sequester a lot of carbon during that time, and then it can be stabilized by composting the plants and, and using the fruits. Now we look over here at every other plant in our garden, each one, like a shrub, it does more than, than a pea plant. But when we get to trees, they are the longest term and largest organisms that we, we can stimulate to sequester carbon from the atmosphere for us. And the way that happens is that when we plant the tree, as it starts to grow, as it builds the wood, it's literally sequestering carbon for a very, very long term in the wood. And that is the mechanism that we're looking for in terms of planting trees. But it's also one of the big dangers we have. In the past couple of weeks here in California, we're in our fire season with yes. our Diablo and our Santa Ana winds. So one of the disadvantages of the fires is that when the wood is burned, it releases that sequestered carbon back into the atmosphere. Right. So that's a natural cycle. But what we need to do, we have the opportunity right now to step up and work with nature to change the complete dynamic of this problem of too much atmosphere, atmospheric carbon dioxide.
0: So let me, before you go there, there, this is a two-step process. And mainly, and I'm just reiterating what you said, mainly what we do is we look how to reduce our carbon output. But and, and what you said was that the planting of trees is usually a footnote in the reports. I think those are the exact words you used a little while ago. And what you're about yep. ready to propose is something that you found that talks about planting a trillion trees. So that's where we're going next, right?
1: Yep. You Excellent. got it. Excellent.
0: So how many is a trillion? Let's start there.
1: <laughs> well, it's um, a thousand billion.
0: Billion. Yeah. A thousand billion trees. Okay. And, and just for clarity here, a billion is a thousand million.
1: Right. That's right. a lot Let's of trees. Break it back. Let's still is a, a lot of trees. That's right?
0: a lot of trees. But for my, my listeners, they know that I love epic goals. So let's talk about planting a trillion trees and where this program came from.
1: About 10 years ago, the United Nations UN Environmental Fund started a project called the Billion Tree Planting Program. And they've just been encouraging people all over the world to plant trees around where they live, especially so the benefits come directly to them. And they've created a really interesting cumulative website that people can log on to and identify one tree or, or however many they've planted and populates these dots on a global map, which is pretty amazing. But the problem is we have way too much excess carbon dioxide in the atmosphere and we need to reduce it very rapidly. So there's a lab in Switzerland at the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology in Zurich. And it's run by an amazing 33-year-old gentleman who grew up in Great Britain. His name is Thomas Crowther, D-R-O-W-T-H-E-R. So the Crowther lab decided to see how many trees do we need to plant? And more importantly, where could we plant them on the face of the globe? And could we do it rapidly? So they started out by mapping the whole globe in a way that's never been done before to identify the global tree coverage. And what they found is we have about 2.9 billion hectares of tree coverage all around the world. And we have the capacity for 4.4 billion hectares of canopy cover under the current climate situation we have. And now they've done something really important. They've excluded existing trees and agriculture and urban areas. And what they've found is that there's room for not 0.9 billion hectares of new tree canopy. And they call this strategic reforestation because those places that they've identified where we should focus on planting the trees historically supported trees. So... Instead of going to the middle of the Sahara Desert, where there were trees, but it was over a thousand years ago, they have identified six countries. The Soviet Union used to be a huge conglomeration, but in Russia, they have space for about 25% of the trees we need to plant. The United States has 20% of the room. Canada has about 10%. And then they go on to several other countries. Brazil has about 15%. The key is we have the capacity to increase the the global tree cover on on 0.9 billion hectares of land that could store 205 gigatons of carbon in wood and natural forest soils. And this would bring the excess carbon in the atmosphere 75% back to a level we have not seen since 1930. And this is something that we need to do at the very same time we're reducing our output of new carbon. And it's very, very important. And it involves planting trees. <laughs> and it involves, how, how would we do that? Yeah. Well, number one, we have to organize a large-scale effort just the logistics of it are, you know, very big. We're talking like over two hundred million acres of land just in the United States. So that's that's a big project to plant those trees. Yeah. But we can do it. And if we do it, if we get it to the point where we're doing this as a major economic investment of humankind to protect our future, it actually will yield great benefits because. When we plant trees, we're not talking about just willy-nilly sticking a tree here and sticking a tree there. We're talking about creating new forest ecosystems and growing a variety of trees and also other elements of a forest. You know, we need grass on the ground. We need shrubs. We need intermediate uh, trees, and then we need short, medium, and long-lived trees and they all come together as a forest ecosystem. And I believe that we need to farm that to make it work, to get the carbon reduction that we're looking for. We're gonna to need to use very sophisticated organic farming techniques to achieve this goal. And it's an incremental process. When you plant baby trees, you might space them 25 feet apart in rows, and the space between you can immediately grow a cover crop, for example, and immediately begin sequestering carbon. And on the other side of this, what I'm talking about in microcarbon sequestration is how do we inspire the citizens of our globe to step up and start reducing their carbon output? Well, I believe we do it by inviting them to also step up their carbon sequestration. And we can do that by a simple tune-up Of their landscape systems. It might only be three potted plants. It might be a a garden with 60-plus trees. It would include a lawn and shrubs and other things. And what we can do is we can increase the carbon performance of these microsystems very rapidly. And one day, we would take, for example, a planting bed with shrubs in it. We would prune those shrubs along the ground level so we could get access to the ground. Right. We would cultivate that ground. Then we would add like one inch of nutritive compost. We would cultivate that in. And then we would put six inches of mulch. And we would hopefully make that mulch right there from the prunings that we took out. And then that area will use 25 to 50% less water, but will grow four times as vigorously and reduce carbon from the atmosphere.
0: Wow. So you actually touched on uh, one of my favorite concepts of my permaculture training, and that's called chop and drop. When you, just a moment ago, you said that hopefully those, that woody mulch would come from the trees that you're pruning, and often, what I do here at the urban farm is i'll I'll do pruning and I'll just take those branches and I drop them right underneath the trees that i'm pruning is that but is that a concept that works it, here
1: that is is one of the key concepts because we don't want to spend a lot of a lot of extra carbon to do this if we don't have to so imagine. A One block long street with residents along both sides. If we organized a work day for that little neighborhood, maybe 20 homes, they could go in and prune everything in their landscape that needs to be pruned for health and safety and fire prevention. We also have to be fire safe because we don't want that excess carbon. They pull those trimmings out to the street and while they're um, cultivating the ground and putting the compost in, we pull a a chipper shredder down the street and in front of each house, we clip everything everything that they have clipped and pile it right back so they can take it right back and put it on their landscape. And so there's two or three residents on that community that are maybe physically challenged and or seniors so that they're very limited mobility, well, we as neighbors could help tune up their landscape as well. And this tune-up would actually go on every person's individual carbon budget. You know, if this family of five tuned up their 60 trees and their whole landscaping, we could calculate how much carbon they're going to sequester each year and the beauty of it is we're increasing that sequestration almost immediately. Yeah. Whereas when we go to plant trees, it's going to take some time while the little baby tree grows to get to be a big tree. So we say the average tree re- re- reaches its like sort of lifetime productivity at 20 years and then that can go on depending upon the species. Like some oak trees, cork oak, they plant those and it takes 50 years before they first harvest the cork. And then every 10 years for 200 years, they can harvest the coke off, the cork bark off the trees. Wow. So it, it's like we're, we're doing something for our future. And it's especially important if we think about the things that are really precious to you and I, and that is food and good food and good food that you grow. So, Number one, we want to encourage people to tune up the plants they already have. And if they have any more space, we're going to encourage them to plant some new trees and especially to think about what I call the 80-20 plan. I like 80% edible and 20% ornamental, the beautiful flowering tree or the beautiful scented tree. And think about not only fruit, but also nuts. And that's in the, in the, the, the landscape for our communities. But when we get out to planting millions of acres of trees, we're going to have to create complete ecosystems that generate crops. Some of it might be very fast timber trees, like ash trees can grow to full timber size in 20 years, whereas the oak tree is, you know, like I said, up to 200 years or more in lifetime. So we, we have a range of things mixed together in an ecosystem. And this also helps to support nature. Our other partners here on the planet, the birds and the bees and the other pollinators and all the animals, all of which we're still trying to figure out the purpose of some of these things. For example, ticks and fleas and mosquitoes, I have a really hard time with, but they (laughs) do have a purpose. (laughs) Just not me. (laughs)
0: yeah exactly you know and you sharing that i on on our personal urban farm u facebook page the headline picture is of wes jackson um he's with the urban land institute isn't he yep yeah yep I love this quote of his and this this i was reminded of this as you were talking about. The cork trees that you're harvesting, you know, 50 years uh-huh. before you ever harvest anything off of them. This quote I love if your life's work can be accomplished in your lifetime, you're not thinking big enough.
1: I love it. Uh, I live by that.
0: Yeah, I do too. I live too. by that. I do too. It's really important and we need to keep our eyes on that. And, you know, how big, how epic can you be thinking? That's really my question for you.
1: Well, you hit the nail on the head. I believe that we have to step up our action. And I'm doing two things to increase this. In my elected job as a resource conservationist, I'm having my conservation district is starting the Technical Assistance Center for Active Carbon Sequestration at Mission Resource Conservation District based in Fallbrook, California. And we want to provide technical assistance not only to the, the landscape, to the citizens who can tune up their landscape, but how do we organize the logistics of planting 200 million acres of trees. So to do that, I've expanded and we're we're developing a research center at California State University at Northridge, their sustainability institute. We've, We've now opened the research center for active carbon sequestration. And we're also having research done on the campus of Whittier College where we've planted a high density planting of avocados and coffee as a way to transition the classic college landscape to something new and do carbon sequestration research right there, 100 feet from the science building. And we have a team of researchers working with us at San Diego State or Cal State San Diego, the the University of California, San Diego, and they're helping us look at the logistics of how do we plant 200 million acres of trees. And we need to push these initiatives forward and support this work because it's going to benefit all of us on this globe. But the exciting part is I want to inspire individual citizens to do what they can and to take credit for that and to encourage their neighbors. And once they've tuned up their own landscape, maybe they'll get interested in where they could put in a food forest in their community. And maybe they'll help put in you know, a forest of at least 10 varieties on lands owned by their city or their county or their state. And we're going to have to all join together in this initiative to basically suck the excess carbon out of the atmosphere and make it useful for us here on the planet.
0: Yeah. And... How does somebody at, you know, living on my street, what are the steps that we can take? Because when you say 200 million acres, that's a little bit mind boggling. So what can I do at a grassroots level to start addressing this? That's where
1: we we have this concept called microcarbon sequestration. What you do in your landscape there at the urban farm is very complex active carbon sequestration. You have your, your lawn, you have your growing beds, you have your trees and shrubs, and all of those you keep tuned up and performing at their best. And that's what we're asking the common citizen to do, is to look at their landscape and realize that if they haven't fed their plants four times this year. Mm -hmm. Their landscape plants are not growing as vigorously as they could. If they haven't mulched their soil, they're losing water to evaporation directly from the soil, and the root zone of the plants is more challenged. If they cultivate in some nutrients and then cover it with a good four to six inches of chipped mulch from hopefully right even from their property, the cut and drop method that you talk about, they can increase the health of their trees, reduce the fire susceptibility of their landscape, and increase the performance of their trees. More fruit, more beauty, more flowers, and they'll be making a difference for the whole planet.
0: Excellent. So it's pretty straightforward. Fertilize your trees, lots of compost, add mulch, and manage the trees just by pruning some of them so that, they're, that they stay healthy.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And also, we want to invite everybody to look at any potential areas in their landscape that they need to clean up to reduce fire danger. And that's very important because when we burn the landscape, we're immediately releasing massive amounts of of carbon dioxide back into the atmosphere. So we're always encouraging people to have a fire-safe home, to not have that firewood stored under a wooden deck, for example, where if an ember blew in there, the deck would go up and the firewood would go up. We need to think carefully about the safety of our landscapes, what we call fire-safe landscape view, and we need to enhance the performance of our landscapes. And this also saves water, which is very important. And the other way we save water is by increasing the ability of your home landscape to harvest rainwater. You know, do things like channel your your roof runoff into a rain barrel or directly into the garden, and that reduces the water you have to buy for your landscape. And if you mulch, you can reduce the overall need of water by up to 50%. And you can reduce the purchase of water dramatically by using the water that comes to your property much more effectively.
0: Wow. Cool. So that is a whole lot of super easy things to do. And we've got Brad Lancaster has been on the podcast. And uh, so you can look up his podcast for uh, rainwater harvesting as well. So that is some great things that people can do on their property. So somebody is listening in you know, a small town or a large city, what is the next step up, the the things that they could do to interface with maybe their city government to push something like this forward?
1: Well, we need to encourage the planting of trees, especially in cities. The statistic that's out is that American cities lose 36 million trees a year. And that's to things like development, Trees actually age out. They get too old and then they they die or, or fall down. You know, when we develop, we take out trees. So we need to not only stop the reduction of trees in our cities where we can, but we need to massively increase the planting of both community gardens and community trees and then also, you know, regional trees. But one of the most important things is the, is the community gardens. Because that is a hub of carbon sequestration that releases massive amounts of oxygen every day as it's growing and thriving. And people can go to the garden, spend time in it, and literally get their bodies supercharged with good, clean oxygen. That's pretty amazing.
0: Nice. So this is a lot of great information. Is there anything else somebody could do to contribute to this?
1: Well, I think it's very important that people start to take stock of their carbon impact and think about some of the very simple things that they can do to reduce that. Like with our vehicle, if the tires are underinflated, it takes more energy to move the car along. So find out, says right on your tire, mine say 35 pounds. So I try to keep them at 35 pounds pressure so that the vehicle rolls easier. I keep my Oil changed on a regular basis so the engine runs better. I make sure to do tune-ups and things like that so I can reduce the impact. And then think smart, like plan your trips. If you need to go five or six places, kind of plan around Robin, you know, reduce your vehicle trips. So there are a lot of things that we can do to reduce our impact without giving up all these wonders of our life here in, in America and on the world. Nice. So So,
0: for the first part, we talked about planting trees and what you can do to build carbon sequestration. Now we're touching on what you can actually do to reduce your carbon output.
1: Yes. So several other things are are what we call the low-hanging fruit of this. Uh, Many people, were going into winter, and many people have furnaces that, that heat their homes. Well, maintain your equipment. Change your filter. Because if your filter is clogged, it takes twice as much energy to push the heated air through it and and that's more energy one of the other things my my dear wife is always reminding me of is to reduce our phantom energy a lot of appliances continue to draw current so that they'll do instant on for you yes but if we install you know simple power strips and you put the tv or the computer i have a, a computer and a printer those I could leave on all the time or I can shut them off when I'm not using them and that reduces my power needs. There's other things that we can do, like make sure you're, you're recycling. Make sure that, that you're, you have a clean burning wood stove. This is a whole new movement where we have more and more efficient combustion chambers for wood burning stoves, for example. So you can burn wood For heat, especially wood that you've harvested yourself, that's the best. It heats you twice once when you cut it and chop it, and once when you heat with it. There you go. Um, But also buy local, buy from a farmer's market, support local farmers, and pay attention to where your food comes from. I used to say that. You know, Well, we'll still be buying coffee and tea from around the world, but may, maybe in the future we've, we've proven we can grow incredible coffee here in Southern California, right. and I'm also experimenting with growing green tea, but we won't put those places around the world where those industries are, are thriving out of business, but we will reduce the taking of certain things that are, are very egregious to the environment. You know, can you imagine that the growing of cut flowers, for example, used to be a very local business. There used to be greenhouses growing roses around all the big cities on the East Coast. Well now, many roses come from Ecuador or Kenya. And so think about it, when you're purchasing, try to find something local that has a lower carbon footprint. And be thoughtful about how you invest your money and eat more organic food because organic agriculture is the most high-performing carbon sequestering agriculture. Our conventional agricultural system uses a lot of inputs and chemicals, and those have a very high carbon cost. Yeah. And it's, it's the best health care there is to eat good food. Get our, get our nutrients from the food we eat is the very best way to go.
0: Yeah. And you, and then you, you talked about, before we go past that, you talked about reducing your carbon footprint. And a lot of the things that you just have mentioned directly impacts that. And so it sounds to me like it, if we just become more conscious about those things and eat locally, the eat locally piece is important because this time of year, if we're hauling in citrus from Peru that carbon footprint on that citrus is huge whereas in 30 days we're going to be harvesting citrus off of our own property so that's what you're talking
1: about right yes and and, uh, and I'm I'm saying please be thoughtful about that don't feel like you can't you know buy coffee from from Kenya for example but be thoughtful about it and look for the local citrus you know I saw citrus in my store the other day in an area where we grow a lot of citrus here in San Diego County and they had oranges from Australia. Right? And I was thinking, "Oh my goodness, it's wonderful for the business to reach those farmers in Australia, but how can we do better?" Yes. Locally. So go to the farmers market and and participate in also in your in your local community. Visit your local parks. Take a look at them. Does your park need a tune up? I'll bet it does. And the and the citizens can help the community by doing work days to to tune up the community as well. You know, tune up our government. It's maybe slowing down and getting rusty, so let's tune it up so it's as efficient as possible and serves the people of the world in the ways that we need. And this the bottom line of all of this is this is not a problem for the United States. This is a problem for every citizen of the world. And we're all in this together. There is no a way for us to throw our excess carbon dioxide. Right. It just, we just stick it up in the air right over our heads. It stays there. So think about how you can do things in a way that reduces your impact and lower your carbon footprint. But please also, step forward and start to do active sequestration that you are responsible for and that you are doing with your community. And this will re this will inspire our citizens to participate in the process because they will see that simple steps can make a difference. It's kind of like the old line, oh, my vote doesn't count. Well, the truth is your vote counts. So step up, vote with your dollar, vote for the officials who are are meeting your needs and vote for the planet to sustain humanity for a long, long time into the future.
0: Wow. Amen to that. Thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Scott.
1: Uh, it was my pleasure. I hope to inspire people to see that they individually can make a huge difference and collectively we can all make a difference that will save the planet.
0: Wow. Cool. So let's talk, first of all, how do people find you if they want more information
1: from you? My email is murray at sbcglobal.net. Please send me an email. And we have our website. We call it edgeofurbanfarm.com. And you'll see some more of my work there on the website, and you'll be able to contact me through that and listen to my show number 11 on the Urban Farm Podcast and listen to my show number 352 on the Urban Farm (laughs) Podcast Nice for more inspiration about how to get active and do something that will change your life in a positive way and make the future a better place. It's like the grandfather that plants and a cork oak tree or a forest of them, he doesn't plant those for himself. Right. He doesn't plant those for his children. He plants those for his grandchildren and his great-grandchildren. Imagine that, that's thinking long-term. We need more of that, but right now we need to take action to make a difference and save, literally, to save our future.
0: Excellent, thank you, thank you, thank you, Scott.